Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. This podcast is an ongoing interview series with noted conductor, organist, musical leader, educator, and entrepreneur, Philip Brunel, by me, his son, Tim. This show connects the dots across all kinds of music, especially choral, church, and opera, with the arts, nonprofits, entrepreneurialism, education, and travel around the world. In each episode of Renaissance Man, we're going to focus on a singular topic, choral conducting, for instance, or running an opera company. If it's got something to do with the world of music, Phillips probably got something to say about it. Over more than 50 years, my father has been an international advocate for music of all kinds, especially choral. He first sang in public at age four, held his first church organist gig at age 15. He was the youngest person hired into the Minnesota Orchestra and stayed a member for five years. Phillips served as music director at Minnesota Opera for 17 years. He's currently on the board of the International Federation of Choral Musicians and has been awarded medals of honor from the British, Swedish, Norwegian, Mexican, and Hungarian governments for work advancing music. During the past 47 years, Philip has also served as church organist and choir master at Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if that's not busy enough for you, Philip founded and continues with Vocal Essence, an internationally celebrated performing arts organization featuring a 100-voice volunteer choir and a 32-voice professional vocal ensemble with dozens of recordings and accolades to its credit. He's also a pretty decent French chef. In short, my father is, truly, a Renaissance man. Now, since this is the debut episode of Renaissance Man, it makes sense to start at the beginning. So today's topic is education. When did it occur to you that you were a musician, that you realized, and, and how, how did you know what a musician was? My first music performance was when I was three and I was a boy soprano singing the holy city and I was trundled out to churches and conventions and schools to sing little Philip singing a number of songs and my mother accompanied me and I just did it. And then they recorded me when I was four. And uh, that recording was done in a studio in Austin, Minnesota. And I do remember in the middle of singing the first song, I stopped singing to let my mother know that there was a spider on the wall of the recording studio. And then we went on with the recording. I came to see 
Um, when I was four, I started piano lessons with Mrs. Dewey, who was the teacher you should study with in Austin, Minnesota. And uh, when we then moved to Minneapolis when I was seven, um, then I had to find a new piano teacher. And my mother asked around and everyone said, oh, he should be studying with Theodore Bergman at McPhail. So I did. I started studying with him. So to say, when did I know I was going to be a musician? I mean, I was always just doing music. It's hard to say, I would say, probably not until sometime in high school that I really said, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that it's a career. It's and, a career, and, and, yeah. And, and so but I, I knew I was always going to be doing music, of course. Okay, so even at even at age three... Oh, yeah. You knew this is the life for me. Right. And then, you know, when I was six was when my mother took me downtown to the high school. Uh, downtown, that was uh, five blocks from our house. Uh, in To the high school to hear Handel's Messiah. And that was the performance that just bowled me over because here was a big chorus and an orchestra and they sang this piece and at the end of it I remember I said to my mother oh what I really want for Christmas is a score of Messiah and so I got it for Christmas and I still have that old score. Did, did you understand it? Sure yeah in fact then I wanted to go and compose a piece like oh, Messiah yeah. And so I... I mean, who, who doesn't at age six? Well, everybody does. And so I wanted to. And so I um, thought about what... I didn't have a great knowledge of repertoire. And I thought, what text would I set? And I thought, you know, I bet nobody has thought of setting the creation. And so <laughs> I started composing a piece called the creation and what yeah. a surprise it sounded a lot like Handel's Messiah yeah uh, oh, very much and then after I'd done uh, the opening tenor recit and aria and the opening chorus I didn't do the overture because I knew overtures were more difficult and you should wait to do that yeah I finished that and then I um somebody informed me that a guy named Haydn had mm. already done this yeah. So I just gave, said, oh, well, forget it. And I just put it away. And that was the end of that. I can see how at age six, you have big, big dreams. And, and they're quickly dashed when you've discovered that others have. Yeah, but then you just move on. Right, right. You know. No, I guess what I was trying to get to is that I think about, you know, I've got a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I think about their self-awareness and what their do they know who they are? And, and, and there were stories of, you know, um, athletes who, who knew and who knew at a young age that they were going to be that. And so I guess I'm more like, did you have a, a sense of yourself at three, four five that like, uh, I'm, I know who I am. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I did. Now, compare that, you, you know, you, brothers and sisters. Did your brothers and sisters know who they were? Did you get a sense of that? No, I don't think they did. Yeah. I don't did, think my, my older brother, no, uh, not Paul didn't. Yeah. And and then, of course, the younger ones, you know, were quite a bit younger. So right. we were really kind of 
in a way, a kind of a separate, they were kind of a separate family. Yeah. So you're at a young age and you've got a distinct sense of self. Did your friends in grade school, did anyone, did you kind of empathize with anyone in in grade school or, or, or were you kind of, Oh, Phillips, that the, the musician kid. Did everyone else know that that's who you were? Yes, they all knew that. They it was you know, and I was probably thought to have been a bit weird. But hey, did it bother you at all? It, no, it, not at all. So you're a young kid, and you're like, I know I'm a music is my thing, and and that, and you were cool with that. Very much. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Did you have? I'm curious when you're that age and and you know you're singing your mom's bringing you around strangers are saying, "Hell, oh, what a great voice you have." And and you're playing the piano and you're doing you're doing these things. And I'm guessing that since other kids aren't also singing like you and sitting down at the piano and doing what you do and other kids aren't writing the creation. Um did you feel alone? Oh, did I feel alone? I, I suppose in a way, but I didn't feel. Uh, I mean, I had I had friends in grade school, but I didn't. Um, I, I felt very satisfied just doing what I was doing. And then, of course, I started. We had this missionary couple, Jean and Ruth Jordan that my parents had known. And they were lived in Quito, Ecuador. And she was a soprano, and he played the marimba and the violin. And they would come up to the U.S., I'm sure to kind of like help raise money for the radio station back there. Yeah. And they would always stay it with us. And so I can remember that's what got me interested in the marimba, because this guy could play. I mean, he was like, was like, Paganini on the marimba. He was amazing, and he wrote all of his own arrangements. And I went, you know, I got to learn to play the marimba. So I was, you know, that was when I was, hmm, I'm going to say seven, maybe eight. I got to play the marimba. So, so been, that's when I started taking marimba lessons. Okay, so you started piano when I was four, four, four or five, and you, and you get into marimba. Did marimbas aren't cheap? Did your did you how did you acquire something? We to practice rented on? one. Uh-uh. We rented a marimba from my marimba teacher, Don Muma, and um, he taught over at St. Paul Bible College, which no longer exists. And uh, then eventually, um, maybe when I was about, I'm going to say something like 10 or 11, then, you know, we we started paying on to buy them, the one I was renting so yeah. that I owned it, but which you're... I still own. Well, I, I know, yeah. So you're you're seven years old. Yep. I'm thinking of the height of a marimba. What, did you have to stand on a box or something? Like, were you tall enough to? No, I was. I was tall. I was tall enough. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Played marimba. All right. So and uh, and how did you? How did your your brothers and sisters? How did you relate to all to them in in this period in your life? Oh, I. I don't, I think as far as in that age, well, there weren't, the three younger ones weren't born yet. So it was just my older brother and we fought. Yeah, well, as brothers do. As they do. And so, and Paul and I, I'm, I'm sure he was, you know, 
I mean, he has said in later life, you know, he was jealous. I mean, here I was, this kid that was, yeah. oh, wonderful. Oh, oh you Philip, know, right, yeah, Philip. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. So, but, you know, I went and did radio programs and mm-hmm. all kinds right, of stuff. Right. Yeah. So, any, any, looking back, mm-hmm. did you have any um, moments in, in your first couple of years? Of learning sort piano? of an aha moment. Yeah. Any? No, nothing with Mrs. Dewey. She was a very good teacher. I, I do remember she loved to use flashcards. Mm. So we all had to right. identify, what is this? Oh, uh-huh. that's a quarter note. Oh, yeah. and this, et cetera. But I don't, I don't have any specific memories. Mm. Um, when I moved up here, then uh, I went down and uh, played for Mr. Bergman, and he took me as a student. So this would have been at the end of second grade Yeah, that I would have done that. And... Um, I went down every week. I, you know, in those days, I mean, I just took the streetcar downtown and um, got off on Trofton and Hennepin and walked over to McPhail and took my lesson. Did you ever do vocal lessons or were you no. just, you, just you picked no, it up? And just, I, I sang, I was singing all the time until my voice broke, which was in probably seventh, I don't remember if it was seventh or eighth, but one of those, a traumatic moment when suddenly... Philip was no longer in demand as a singer in churches and conventions and things. Suddenly, oh, that, that really kind of got oh, your ego. Oh my word! Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, suddenly, oh, you know, no. I that then it became, you know, I, I one day was a soprano and the next day a second bass, <laughs> and <laughs> but, it was like. But you're you're saying that your your identity of self was set up in the I'm this. Oh, young yeah, singer right. and, and people know me for this and then yeah, yeah I suddenly oh you know I mean it was like wait what's happened so I'm sure there was you know a little time right in in those junior high years when it was like oh you know I mean right. my mother does did tell me that at some point when I was about 10 she said I was way too cocky about singing and doing all this you, stuff you? and so yeah, I know. And so she <laughs> deliberately uh, grounded me for a month. Wow. In which I was not allowed to go out and perform anywhere. And said, it's time for you to learn some humility. Did so, that Did that get your attention? That got your attention. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Then I learned, okay, all right. Well, it's interesting I, to see even with, with Max and Eli how to get their attention. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, and, and unfortunately, I think with children, it's, what do you take away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. So you, you see, you hit I was all... not allowed to perform. You, oh, yeah, I know. right. Oh. Well, it, it's interesting to think about that. So yes, you had an ability to sing. Yeah, you had a kind of an innate ability to learn to play the piano. And I could sing dozens of songs. I mean, my repertoire was huge of what I would sing, and so. Um, you know, it, this right. was so easy to do. And I just, you know, I've always had a good memory, so I could pick things up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was back then at some point in in maybe third, fourth grade was when I just got enamored with the Dickens Christmas Carol and that recording that Lionel Barrymore did, uh, which was on old 78s. So I just memorized it all. And so, you know, you could go out and, and say, hey, you want to hear Dickens' Christmas Carol? I can give it for you. Here we are. Right. Uh, but it's also interesting to think of that that was a sense, a source of energy for you. Oh, sure. You know, that mm-hmm. you kind of gave you, you know, 
some people get their sense of self from their friends and some people get it from their performance in sports and, and you got it from performing. Yeah. And so do you, do you, you know, looking back at young Philip, the singer, um, wanted, adored, applauded. Do you see that in young singers that you work with today? Do you, do you ever, do you ever, you know, you're working with someone who's a young singer and do you ever get kind of a flashback of like, Oh, I, I remember what that felt like. Yeah, well, I've seen it a little bit, but more when the, you know, young people who are like um, 11 or 12 or something, not when five or six, I haven't seen those yeah. people, but then maybe I haven't been around them to see that they can do that. Right. Okay. Talk a little bit um, or, or quickly. So you didn't have uh, vocal instruction. You definitely had uh, uh, piano instruction and, and percussion instruction. Is there... Was there a much of a difference or is at that age when you're learning these, the piano or the room, is it music is music and you're learning muscle memory? Yep. It, music was music and I would practice every day. My mother tried unsuccessfully. Uh, how, how much did you practice? Every day? Oh, usually I would say two hours a day. So you'd come home from school. And practice. Right. But yeah. ju just two hours. Well, some days on Saturdays, well, I could practice on Saturdays, you know, th four or five hours. Oh, yeah. And switching from marimba to piano? or well, mostly just piano. Yeah, later later than I did marimba as well. But mm -hmm. in those, oh, no, and I loved it. It was great. My mother tried unsuccessfully to get me to learn how to throw a baseball mm -hmm. and wanted my older brother to teach me. And she was going to pay him a dollar if he could do that. And he didn't get the dollar. Well, because I didn't go outside and do that. It's America's loss. Yes, exactly. So. In the Lord, in the Lord, We've talked about you know your 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 younger age, elementary age, um, and you talked about practicing two two hours to four hours a day. Did did that change or evolve much as you went through junior high and into high school? In terms of, did you have Mr. Bergman was your same teacher through all of that? Did you all the way through twelfth grade? Okay, and did did your um, did your repertoire? Did you start doing gigs? Like, help me understand Philip the musician kind of age 12 into junior high and into high school. What, what were you up to? Oh, well, then, of course, I started um, accompanying at church, which was the church up in northeast Minneapolis where my father was the minister, and I would um, accompany singers. I, I have no idea how it was that I first did that, except I'm sure somebody just handed me music and I could sight read and say, oh, good, go for it. And then somewhere in there in the junior high years is when I also learned about uh, that it was great to be able to play by ear 
that you didn't need to have the music in front of you for hymns. And right. so you could just make up your own accompaniments and you could you could do that. And so so you knew the structure of the hymn in your head. Right. Yeah. And then you could do voices or, and arrangements. Or either that or somebody just sang me the melody and then I said, oh, that's all I need. I can make this up. I don't mm-hmm. need the chords. I I can make up the chords. I know what they are because I know what this is. So somewhere in there is when I realized I had perfect pitch. Okay. Yeah. I have no exact date that I can tell you, oh, I have perfect pitch. But somewhere in there, I did know that. Yeah. And, and we, could, we could talk about that in, in a separate thread, but I'm thinking about... Um, is that also kind of a, a time when you realized that you could improvise or what improvisation was? Yeah, I, I think at that point I just knew that I could um, I, I could find my way uh, in a sense. I, I don't know that I called it improvising then. I think it was just, oh, I knew I could accompany hymns and do things like that. But you were, in fact, improvising. I was. And had anyone taught you that? No. No, 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 not at all. How do you think you've, how did, how did your body come to be able to do that then? I have no clue. <laughs> I have yeah. no clue. I just knew I could do it. So, you, you know? Yeah. So I'm just curious today, you sit down because you do this most Sundays and we're, we're singing the hymns and it, let's say it's four verses, you yeah. know, in between the third and fourth verse, you're going to go off and do something. Right. Is it the same that you just, it just happens? Yep. I do not plan it. Right. Okay. And and so you have no understanding or no recollection. Have you thought about it? Like where where does the um, where does the gift of of improvisation come from? I have no idea. I mean, I I I sometimes will I will think about an introduction to a hymn, mm-hmm. and yeah. and because I want to see where it fits in the service and where it fits with the mood of that particular hymn, but interludes. You just, you know, I just know all my keys, so I just know where my fingers need to go and I need to modulate. Oh, let's do it. And you know that this is the natural modulation to get there and your fingers just play it and you go, you know. And it sounds right. Absolutely. When you were, um, so going back to thinking about um, junior high and high school, did you have any contemporaries, you know, kids your age, playing music at your level. Did you have any collaborators uh, that you worked with? Or were you mostly working with people who were older than you? Um, Junior high, no. Junior high was also then when Mr. Bergman um, said to me, okay, now it's time to learn to sight read. Oh, okay. And so I remember the first was he had me buy um, the first volume of Beethoven's sonatas, and he said, I want you to do this, and this week I want you to play through the first three sonatas. He said, just, he said, it will not be great. You'll make a lot of mistakes. Don't stop. Keep going. And then the next week it was the next three sonatas, and, you know, gradually we just went went through all of them. But what ended up happening, of course, is, and then we did Brahms the same way. But as you started doing this, you just get better at it. Right. 
And uh, yeah, you, you get better at success by failing a lot. Yep. And so I just, you know, okay, I did that and I just kept pushing myself. And so consequently, by the time I got to high school, then, um, you know, you become in demand because you can sight read. And right. someone, some singer hands you music and says, oh, you know, and I said, oh, yeah, that's simple. You're, my, re you're reliable. Very. And so my, and then somewhere when I was about, I would say I would have been 13, um, maybe 14, that is when I wanted to play the organ. Yeah. So then Mr. Bergman taught me, but he was, he was an okay organist. He wasn't great. Yeah. So uh, it was actually when I got to um, Minnehaha Academy mm -hmm. that Harry Opal, my choir director, was the one that steered me um, that I should be taking lessons from Arthur Jennings down at Plymouth Church. Now, I did have before that a um, organ job at a small covenant church in Bloomington and Bethany Covenant. I was there for like a year. Yeah. And then one of the kids at Minnehaha went to Park Avenue Covenant, knew that they were going to have to get a new organist and said, I should apply. So there were two. How old are you at this point? Uh, 15. Okay. Yeah. And, oh, I went down, there was a three-manual pipe organ. Give me a break. Was this ever amazing? So there were two of us who who auditioned in August for this job. And uh, what got me the job, the other guy, they knew was going to get it. I mean, I was 15 and he was 28. He was, there's no question, this guy's going to get the job. But the Sunday that I auditioned to play, uh, there was a singer, it was August, and she had not given me her music in advance as she was supposed to. Mm -hmm. So when I arrived that Sunday, they said, oh, we're so sorry, and here it is, but can you, well, whatever piece it was, it was like playing do re mi. I mean, it was, Easy. to me, yeah, yeah. it was just simple. Well, so, you had been, you'd been well, sight reading for right, years. Right, so I, I did that. Well, they were just astonished, and I got the job because of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I gathered the other guy didn't do so well in his sight reading. So <laughs> hey, I'm in. Right. Um, okay. So that that's sort of getting into high school is when you start to you're starting to work with alongside a lot of other musicians, and you had shifted from mm -hmm. you know as a singer, it's kind of you with a pianist, kind of against the world, mm -hmm. and as a pianist, you're doing your own thing solo, and as you're getting older, you're getting into working with other people. I'm curious though on the sight reading piece. Uh, thinking about sight reading. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is that the way to learn to sight read music is just put a lot of music in front of you. Absolutely. Did he have any, uh, so you took it home and you went through it a bunch of times. When you, What happened when you went to a lesson? We never touched it. He just said, okay, next week do the others. We never did that. We did, worked on other pieces. Would, would he ever um, pull a, an unknown piece of music out and put it in front of you and say, go? No, we didn't. The sight reading was was like, an extra credit, so to speak, oh, project. Right, right. I was to do that at home. I was to play through that. That was because if I brought that in, and that that would then be rehearsing it and working. Oh. And we weren't doing that. We did eventually go back, of course, and then worked on style and and worked on Beethoven pieces. But at the at that time, it was just I'm going to get you to sight read, and so you you know you will do it. When I got to high school, then. There were, well, and junior high. Junior high was at Edison, 
which at that time was junior and senior high. And in, um, uh, but I was already, uh, uh, when I was in seventh grade, I got to be, um, they had the, the, they had two bands. They had the seventh through ninth and the 10th through 12th. And after I'd been at, in seventh grade in that first band for about a week, I got promoted to the senior high band and I was the timpanist. <laughs> I'd forgotten about this. And I was, I was the timpanist. So I was like, whoa, I didn't know anything about timpani, but yeah. you know, I could, I knew how to do roles. And so you just you know, hit it. Yeah, I can and, tell you as as a timpanist, you just hit it. You know, and the, and the, the there was in those days the drums did not have a pedal for the pitches. Oh. You cranked them. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, wow. oh it's like and then and then crank 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 crank. Okay, so you had these crank, and you know, I just loved that. Yeah. With Elmo Lunkley was the band director, and so I, you know, I did, and then obviously my sight reading by the time I was in eighth grade was in good shape because I then was asked to um, play for the school, the Edison, like the musical. Mm -hmm. And I remember that well because we needed to have a rehearsal one night and they couldn't find a place. And then they said, Philip, what about your church basement? And I said, oh, sure, we can go over there. And we were down the basement and the piece that they were, and of course, don't forget, no dancing, you know, yeah, in those yeah. days. Well, you, uh, oh. your, well, yeah, we have to rem remind folks that your father was, was a very extremely... wonderful, constrict minister, and the word no was the biggest word at the house. No dancing, no cards, no movies, no. Mm. No no culture. Oh, not, I mean, or, no. Or no popular culture. No popular culture. So, so, so we're in this basement, in his, and there's... Let's be his church basement. And we're in this, yeah, we're in this his church basement. He's not there. And he, rehearsing a musical. Yeah. Well, actually, what we were rehearsing was Rock Around the Clock. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that you did. Uh... And so we were rehearsing, and I'm at the piano, and the phone rings, and it's my father, and I go answer, and in the background, he hears, We're going to rock around. He goes, What's going on in the basement? I was like, Ooh, ooh. Right. <laughs> so the rehearsal stopped rather you don't, abruptly. You know, you know, I got to just say right now, you don't do a lot of Bill Haley stuff. No. I'm surprised. No. no. This that, was, I was just playing the music. They had right. the music there for me and I right. played it. So anyway, uh, so I was doing that in eighth grade. I was playing for the musical. And. Um, and then, uh, of course, in eighth grade, when my father suddenly died, and um, then uh, that was Christmas morning, but I stayed, I mean, I still went to Edison and finished eighth grade there. Mm -hmm. Even after we moved to South Minneapolis, I drove every day. Um, I was driven. I didn't. I drove every day up with the assistant principal of Edison, who happened to live very close to where we had moved. Mm -hmm. And the other wonderful thing that happened, which I never knew about until I finished high school, was that Mr. Bergman called my mother and said, I know uh, that you no longer can afford piano lessons for Philip, and he must not stop. So as long as you don't tell him, they will be free. And so I never knew. All I knew is my mother would be like, now you've got to really keep practicing. Well, I love to practice. That was right. not a problem. So keep practicing, keep practicing. So it was only when I finished 12th grade that she said, by the way, I was going to go off to the university. And she said, you should just know 
what's been going on these last years. And, oh. uh, and quite a gift, a wonderful gift. And the same thing happened when I started organ lessons with Mr. Jennings, because uh, obviously Harry Opal had called him up and said, they don't have any money. And so I went down to take my lesson. And I don't remember, I remember asking him, how much are the lessons? I don't remember what he said, except I know it was very low. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, this guy is the university organist. I mean, he's really, he could be charging people more. <laughs> and of course he was, except me, yeah, yeah, you know, well, right. Very- among your teachers, you know, prior to the university, had the most influence on you? Oh, well, Mr. Opal, Harry Opal at Minnehaha, no question. I Why? mean, well, Harry saw, here's this guy, he doesn't have a father, and, you know, he's got this talent, and he's just going to have to be guided, and so, mm. so Harry was, I mean, he was very no-nonsense, and uh, he just made sure that I... Uh, I was uh, kind of put on a path of accompanying and playing. I had a a guy in our class um, at Minnehaha who was also a wonderful pianist, and we got acquainted and started playing piano duets. Mm. And so I would say for three of those four years, we played a lot of music for piano four hands and Mm -hmm. did programs and he was great and he he was a wonderful pianist um i he still lives in town i probably see him about once every two years but uh he he um he he was a great he was a great guy to be able to play with because he he also had the technical skill and so it wasn't like one of us waiting for the other right yeah And, and so it gives you a I, I got to think in the same way that, you know, uh, golfers or, or other people at a high level appreciate playing with other people at a high level. Exactly. I, I, here's what I, I forgot to ask you. Did you, when you were young and you were practicing the piano, um, the metronome, did you use a metronome? No. No. Um, I might once in a while have checked a tempo on the metronome. Mm-hmm just to see if what was on the page was what I was doing, but no, no. So do you, I'm a, you know, I'm a drummer and um, my, what, my own self-assessment of my ability with time is that it's, it's looser than I would like. You know, um, I can certainly play to a click, but if I start a tempo, I, I, I have a tendency to slow down and I, mm. and, and I've noticed like to almost to the tempo marking, well, how much it's usually four or five clicks, essentially. It sounds to me like you all in addition to perfect pitch kind of have almost like perfect tempo. And I mean, I've heard that said of you, how do you know, how, what, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? That the tempo is off. Hmm. Well, I know I have it. Partly because 
when I have, for instance, conducted an opera and done it three times, um, this is maybe an opera that lasts two hours. Yeah. Uh, at the end of it, if if they've all been timed, they will say um, they varied by about twenty seconds. Yeah. Out of two hours, and I yeah. go, oh yeah, okay, and I said that was probably because the applause lasted longer on something, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've just always uh, known that I I just had very very solid rhythm, and uh, that I you know if somebody asks me to um, record something, I'm say okay, tell me what tempo you want, and you know, uh, I mean I might first do it, and they and they might say, oh, we'd like it slower. Oh, okay, I can do that, you know, and then take a slower tempo. But, you know, you try to hear a piece of music and decide what the tempo is that that this feels correct for and then stay with it. Um, I, am, I am convinced one of the reasons that people at Plymouth Church sing hymns so lustily Sunday after Sunday is because my rhythm is rock solid. And if your rhythm isn't rock solid, playing hymns, people give up because they yeah. can't follow the rhythm and you're not steady. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, yeah, then it, they don't sing. Well, it doesn't give you confidence. It doesn't give you confidence. So right. I, I just, I want to make sure that it's right there and it'll be, each verse of the hymn is going to be at the right tempo. I might deliberately on a fourth verse to make it grander, slow down, but that's deliberate on my yeah, part. Yeah, but do you, f tempo, do you feel that somewhere in your body? Do I feel the tempo? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's there. And, and, and is, is that different when you're, um, there's one thing when you're playing the organ, you're making the music. Is it the same when you're conducting? Because then you're you're literally wait, you know, sure. dancing it's the out same. the tempo. Yeah. I mean, I will look at a piece of music, and if it says quarter note equals whatever, I go okay, yeah, sure. I know what that. I know what I know what that is, mm -hmm. and then I will just do that tempo. Okay. And I don't know how I know to do that. Today, uh, with all of your experience, how do you learn? How do I learn new music? Yeah, yeah what's your process? Well, you got a, you got a new commission. Here's the score. What's your process for learning that new piece of music? Now, depend. Let's just say, let's say it's an, um, it's a piece for choir, and let's say it's acapella okay if that was the case like i just got one today that it, we're going to be doing for contra Ray. 
And so, of course, you know, because I've got perfect pitch, I can, I don't have to go to the piano. I can hear the notes that are right. on the page. So I know I go, oh, that's interesting. Um, and as I look at it, uh, I'm first, the things that come to me first are going to be, is this good voice leading? Is this going to be something that singers are going to want to sing because it works vocally? doesn't mean that it can't be challenging, right. but, you know, does it work? And does the text... Uh, is the text um, reflected musically? Does it make sense, or, or has someone put a, a syllable on the wrong syllable? Right, you know that kind of thing, <laughs> exactly. and figure out how does that work. So I start there, mm -hmm. and and then after you you realize, okay, this is going to work, because then I might, if it's brand new, I might go back to the composer and say, oh, I think here are some things you should fix because I think this isn't this isn't uh, this isn't going to work. What about um, the organ, you know, like, or the piano? You, you're handed a piece of instrumental music. How do you learn? What's your process for learning a, a new piece? Oh, I tend, first of all, to just play it through. Hmm. I like to just go through so I can kind of see where it is. I get a new organ piece. I look at it and go, okay, oh, yeah, well, that piece is going to take a little more work. Right. A little technique problem there. And this is not going to be a problem, but I can see. And then try to get a feeling for the shape. What is the piece about? How is the, How does it seem to work? What is the composer trying yeah. to do? Do you have any weaknesses in terms of like when you look at, you know, Philip Brunel as a musician and, you know, you get handed a score. Are, are there things you get worried about or things you're like, oh, that... I wish I was better at. Oh, I always wish I was better. I, I, I mean, I always wish I had, I, I've got good technique. I wish I had better technique. I mean, oh yeah, because you just know no matter how perfect you might be, you could be more perfect. So I am very much a very hard judge of myself. Yeah. Very I, much so. Yeah. I, do you, do you carry that around? Or is it just in the moment? Let's just say, for instance, you get a piece of music and you had a bad day or for whatever reason at the organ manual. Are you beating yourself up for hours afterwards or is it no. you leave it at the bench? I leave it at the bench knowing I got to come back and spend some time on that. I know I have to, but I'm not going to go and just be you know, just beating myself because I didn't do it well. Mm -hmm. I... I, I am much more likely to say, well, I've learned my lesson about that. That piece needed, you know, 10 more minutes that I didn't give it to, mm -hmm. to, do, to do better than yeah. I did. Have you always been that way? Yes. I mean, even, even at, at a young age, you didn't carry kind of frustrations around with you? Like, like oh, I, I, you know, because we have, that's the kind of part of the uh, American culture of perfection and you know, work ethic and that. So it, it's almost appealing for a person to kind of beat themselves up over a period of time after failing to do something. I remember in 10th grade playing the Bach Italian Concerto for a concert. Um, it was the only piece I played in that program. And I wasn't ready. And I did not play it well. Mm -hmm. I made too many mistakes, 
And then as you start making mistakes, hey, what a surprise. You start tensing up. Yeah. And then yeah. you make more mistakes mm -hmm. because yeah. you're... And I remember finishing that, being very embarrassed by my performance and saying, I will never do that again. And I didn't. I just knew I've got to come much more prepared. So yeah. you learn, yeah, you know, you, you, you have an experience that, but I never, you know, I'm sure <laughs> right afterward at any reception, I would have been, oh, yeah, yeah, embarrassed that mm -hmm. I was still there. But then as far as like, carrying it around and going, oh, mm -hmm. no, I would rather treat it as a positive thing and say, okay, I just know I have to do better and I'm going to do better. Um, so has your approach to, you know, thinking of, age four or five through junior high through high school, have you learned some tricks in terms of how to learn something? Have you, have you developed like in, in meeting other people and talking to other people in your travels around the world, have you gained any additional insights on how to learn? How to learn a piece of music? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, um, I think you learn as you look at it, you're, you're able to look at it and say, I can see where the difficulties are, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't have known when I was younger, but right. I can, I mean, at sight, now I can look and go, aha, this is going to take uh, me a little more time. What I'm, what I will always have to work, work at, I know, is looking at a piece of music and say, oh, this is going to, the choir can do this. This will be just simple for mm -hmm. the choir. Mm -hmm. And then they say to me, ah, Philip, no, <laughs> this is not simple. You may think this is simple. This is a struggle. And I'm going like, really? Is that, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought you guys would just right. w do it right off. And they go, no. no. So I always get that lesson from both vocal lessons and the church choir. difference between learning music and teaching music? Well, teaching music, I mean, I love to teach. And teaching music gives you the opportunity not only to help people learn the notes and the rhythms, but you get the opportunity to help them become more musical. You get a chance for them to to kind of grow further than just notes in the music. Learn right. how to, here's what you can do with this. Oh, my word. And then you begin to find ways in which, as you're teaching a piece, I mean, there are little tricks you can do. You can realize that this passage that the women are singing is on the next page the same for the men. So 
why don't we just sing it together? Mm-hmm. Then you all know you're going to be singing the same thing. You just sing it a page apart. Right. And people, oh, I mean, I will try to find ways to help people uh, understand the form mm-hmm. of a yeah. piece of music. Yeah. And doing that, they go, okay, I can see. Just it somehow I can make it a little more... Uh, uh, a little more understandable for mm-hmm. them. I also got to think that the, the the story of of this particular melody or this particular piece mm-hmm. was inspired by, and, right. and, and you're giving them kind of mental clues, hooks to kind of hang on to mm-hmm. that help them remember a form or or a, or a passage or why is the phrase this way? Well, it's because yeah. of yeah. Well. And, you know, one of the things that people sometimes don't realize um, is that singing is the only instrument, a voice is the only instrument that you cannot see any part of the mechanical, uh, of the mechanism. Right. And so, therefore, um, you can know that if you see this note on 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 the trumpet, you know which valve you're going to push down. On the violin, you know, okay, the piano, whatever. The voice, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's just invisible. Gonna, yeah. It's invisible. And therefore, because of that, uh, it's also the most vulnerable instrument. Mm. So somebody gets up in the morning, trumpet player, and they got to play a big concerto, and they don't feel well, and they got to, you know, they could still do it. They may not be on top of their game. Singer gets up in the morning with a sore throat. I can't say. It's game over game over so and so consequently you just have a much more uh there's a great deal more vulnerability but it's that vulnerability now i'm thinking about a solo performer Mm -hmm. it's that vulnerability that 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 fascinates listeners you know it's why you could listen to barbara streisand sing a song and she'll sing it three times and she'll never sing it the same Mm -hmm. and you're like oh she just slightly changed that pitch or she changed that rhythm or whatever the inflection there and you're oh because you know it's so vulnerable right well and the other thing with the voice that is the unique thing is it's the only musical instrument that has text Mm. and so suddenly you're not only having a sound but you've got to give words and make them understandable mm-hmm. and give them meaning mm-hmm. as you're doing it. So it, and I think it's all of that that fascinates me about, uh, about the voice. makes a, a music teacher effective uh, I think it well I think it's a combination of um, a very um, a really good ear they know they they know what they're listening for and they know how to how to help a person 
Mm-hmm. They know how to correct something that is not right without just saying wrong. Right. They can say wrong, and here's how you fix that. Right. Oh, okay. Or, and of course, it's, you know, different with voice than it might be with, say, piano. But it would be that you have, the the person has that um, ability to be encouraging, to also be disciplining when that's necessary. And uh, at the end of it, the the student feels like, oh, my word, this person just totally is absorbed in music and totally understands what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's you're, you're a, a physical coach. Yep. You're a psychologist. Yep. You know, you're a cheerleader. All of them. You're a drill sergeant. Yeah. So on the flip side, if, if that's what makes a good music teacher, what makes a good music student? Um, the music student... Um, I would say, first of all, uh, curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Interest, a a sense of wonder Mm -hmm. and amazement at how sounds come together, Mm -hmm. a a real sense of uh, purpose and uh, being able to, uh, you know, wanting to work hard, wanting to learn as much as they can and just kind of absorb what's out there. And and then, of course, just a simple love for what music is all about and how can they be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they'll find their own, whether they singer or instrumentalist, they'll yep. find their own, yep. their own way into it. Um, you know, you, when you look back at... at your early days of, of music education, um, did you miss anything? I mean, in other words, if you could go back now to Philip, age 10, uh, would you have any counsel for him? Um, well, of course, I always, uh, because I was, because I was kidded a lot, I, you know, it would be wonderful to have somehow found another 12 hours in a day that I could have been good at sports. Right. Only temporarily. I did, you know. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, I mean, I was the last person to be chosen on any FIAD team, you know. Yeah. You know. But sports aren't your thing, though. Not at all. But, you know, but you get kidded a lot in yeah. in high school. Oh, yeah, Brunel. You and, know. And, and that hurts. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, it hurt me, but not enough to send me off in, into weeping. It was like, oh, dear. Okay, yeah, right. Brunel. Brunel, he's, you know, he's, he's a real klutz when it comes to sports. Yep. But yep. on the same token, they were sure glad that you were there when it was time to put on the show. Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. Right. I mean, we all yeah. have our, I think, you know, I think of Eli and Max and, and their, what they're learning about their place in the scheme of things and their, their place in the tribe that is their, their school mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, they each have their strengths, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I think it's, a, it can be a struggle if you're the kid who's really, really good at one specific thing, you're an outlier and 
children at that age aren't maybe they're not really into outliers mm -hmm. you know so it mm -hmm. can be the, it can be a struggle What's your take uh, on on the state, broadly speaking, the state of music education in America? So when we think about public schools and college, or we think about you know in person versus online, we think about this the the music education in America. What's your take on how are we doing? What's if you're the the president of this? What's your what's your take? Could be better. Could be better. Um, we know though not everyone in authority knows, uh, that there is a definite correlation between music education and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there is a correlation between practicing and homework. Um, we know these things. Uh, not everybody... I sometimes think that the people who make decisions in Washington never studied an instrument or never, you know, didn't participate in music education so you don't really understand right. how these really are, um, you know, life-changing parts of you. I don't think they sense that. And yet, wow, it does make a difference. There was a, I was reading an article uh, talking about coders, you know, people who write software code, code for the internet, for applications. And in the, on the same vein, the, the, the author was saying, well, you look at Washington, most of our legislators came from law backgrounds. They mm -hmm. got degrees in law. So no wonder policy is written very much in a legal framework mm -hmm. the, the, the 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 tone the style of mm -hmm. writing is very legal imagine he said if most of those legislators came from silicon valley they would write the language of yep. the law would be dramatically different so imagine if most of our legislators had strong musical backgrounds mm -hmm. we would think about policy and how our country operates in a really different way i imagine we would and, but I do think this whole thing about, you know, you if you do an instrument or you sing, you 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 learn a certain kind of self-esteem that really uh, boosts you and helps you and makes you also say, I can do this, I can do that. You really learn that. So Minnesota is definitely at the top of the of the 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 pack. We have wonderful music education. Could be better. But it's good. We have great teachers in the state of Minnesota. And it's partly because we all know, hey, we're good. Minnesota is a real music state. And, and, it, and because of that, we build on that enthusiasm. Right. But at the same time, you know, when a school suddenly is told, well, we can't have music anymore. Oh, dear. You know, we lose another one. And this happens. So we need 
I always am telling people, you can just never sit there and and uh, bask on your laurels because we're a great state. We are a great state, but we've got to do more to to make every kid get involved with music in some way. We have to do it. So stepping out of the United States, you've spent a lot of time all over the world. How many countries have you visited? Right. Most of them, right? You've been to not most, no. But I mean, you know, I've been to 30, 40 maybe. I don't know. Okay, and you've worked with musicians in China and Togo and Norway and Britain, all of places. Okay, so knowing all of that, is your kind of your birth into music, your um, your early music education upbringing, is it unique, or is that? Do you hear the same story from other people around the world? Is music education around the world different mm-hmm. than the U.S.? It's different than the U.S., and it depends a lot on the country. Yeah. Um, and some countries uh, teach a very rigorous look at technique, and creativity is not part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as an example, um, wonderful composer Ule Yelo, as a young kid, in Norway, uh, went to the conservatory and said, I want to be a composer. And, and, uh, and he said, and I want to write um, a string quartet, and a, I want to do a Broadway show, and I want to write a choral piece. And they said, no, 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 you do one of those. Yeah. Not, you cannot do all that. And so he abruptly moved to New York City and went to Juilliard, yeah. where he could do all that. No, I'm just I'm thinking about the the global experience. Who's what country is doing music education well? Who's doing it the best? Well, I I would say in terms of involving people uh, and giving them that room, the United States. United mm-hmm. States is really doing some. I, I'm I'm thinking now just about choral music okay. and but also. You know, we have big youth orchestra programs. I think we're doing it very well. United Kingdom also doing doing well, and it and there's many countries that are they that they have a uh, they have for what they feel is music education that they're doing it very well. But it would be uh, very much like dot this I cross that T. It's yeah. not. It doesn't allow you to kind of spread your wings in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much about technical Absolutely. learning. Absolutely, and following, very much. Following yeah. the rules. And then you get something like Venezuela, where you know, 15 years ago they started this whole program of getting kids from the slums to play an instrument. And it's turned out to be absolutely magnificent program. And... Uh, it's um, now something that other countries, the United States is one, and uh, other countries in South America are starting to emulate and see if they can find a way to, again, it, you know, these kids, then they become proud that they have something in life beyond the poor, the poor state right. that they're living in.
do you still need to learn? Oh, lots. Oh, my word. Yes, I need to learn. Well, as I said before, I need to learn more languages for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd love to learn more. Yeah. Just at, find time to do that. Wow. And I, I need to learn. Uh, there's just lots of music that I haven't uh, memorized or learned yet, and I need to do that. Um, I need to keep working on my technique because, you know, as you get older, it's easy to kind of like, oh, yeah, I can do this. No, no, no. You got to keep at it all the time and keep finding time to practice. Pra um, I love to read, so, and reading is great because you learn a lot more things about life and then just retaining all that information. I got a lot to do. I, I've got many years of learning ahead of me. Thank you.